it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Buzz! 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 Welcome in to a very special edition of the Ralphie Report podcast. I can't call this at the buzzer without one of our co-hosts, Sam, but Sam is unfortunately sick um, and unwilling to hop on the mic with his raspy voice. So uh, we are calling this the overall Ralphie Report podcast, not at the buzzer. And we're calling a special meeting uh, a quorum because this is pretty big news coming out of Sunday in Boulder. Um, the the smoke has risen from the smokestacks behind Coors Event Center, and uh, Carl Durrell and Chris Wilson have both been relieved of their duties after a forty three to twenty loss in the desert last night against Arizona. Um, this is not necessarily a surprise, but it's definitely something that we we'd love to talk about. And by we, I mean me, one co host Jack, and over there, special guest, friend of the pod. Class, he's been on here plenty of times. We have Chase Halligan. Welcome in, Chase. What's going on? Thanks for having me on. Uh, my thoughts and prayers go out to Sam in this difficult time. Hopefully he gets back to full health, full speaking ability to be able to podcast. You know, it's tough when you're on the IL to podcast. You probably <laughs> have a pretty serious, serious injury when that happens. But I'm happy to fill in for him today. Obviously, it's a very important day. It's a great day to be a buff. It's always a great day to be a buff. We don't right. celebrate people losing their jobs but it's a great day to be a buff yeah you know it's a great that's a great point but the other thing i think about is usually i don't celebrate people losing their jobs i do celebrate someone getting fat stacks and nine million is not <laughs> I don't feel bad about it. 8.7 million at all no <laughs> yeah. that's got to be nice what 
Can we start start there? Because sure. what would you do if you got an $8.7 million check to do nothing? Would you go back into coaching or would you just chill and play golf every day? For me, no, I'm not going back into coaching. Absolutely not. Especially if I'm, what is he, 58, 59? No. Mm-hmm. I, that, the passion would be gone 100%. Um, he's got plenty of opportunities. He's, he has a very nice house in the Boulder area. That's a great spot to be in. Um, and he spent plenty of time in Miami. It's another great spot if you are in, in aging – coach with plenty of cash uh i am not going back um yeah if, you, if someone handed me nine million dollars as, as a 58 year old former coach no shot um i'm traveling the country there <laughs> i'm right there with you got my winter house in miami my summer house in boulder there you my, go I, I hope my boulder country club membership uh <laughs> intact i don't know if it was an honorary membership or if he's gonna have to pay now but he's got the money to be able to pay Yep. Um, so he has Boulder Country Club and whatever course he has in Miami, and I'm playing golf with that 8.7 million. Yep. And I'll handle the people booing me wherever I am by just hiring people to play golf with me and cheer me <laughs> on after every yeah. stroke with that kind of cash. In all seriousness, though, Carl Durrell is a great human being, and like as Absolutely. a person, I have tremendous respect for him. So I hope that nobody is booing him in public or anything like that because he doesn't deserve it. He knows just as well as anybody that he did a poor job. So yeah. Yeah, this is a good time to just jump right into like a recap of his tenure and, and how things got south so quickly. Um, so Darrell was hired under pretty weird circumstances in February of 2020. If everyone recalls, I'm sure you do. Mel Tucker left from Michigan State um, after signing day, which puts both position, uh, both programs in a weird spot. Um, so C was kind of scrambling at that point in time. Some names are being thrown out. Um, Steve Sarkeesian being a pretty big one. And then on the day of the CU-UCLA home game, um, which was a pretty big home game for basketball, uh, the, the news came through that Carl Durrell was the guy hired. Um, so really late in the cycle, it was an NFL assistant head coach, wide receiver coach, and obviously familiar with the program, has coached here twice before. Um, but, you know, pretty out of left field name, I would say. Um, not many people had them on a hot, him on a hot board. Uh, and and um, I guess immediately came in and did some really good things. So what you're talking about with Carl being a really good human, I think 2020 was a uniquely a, a year uniquely suited to showcase that. Right. I think he's always been a pretty a really stable force. Like, I think he's always been the same guy. Um, and I think the fact that he was just kind of there in a weird COVID year to be like, I'm still here, kids. Like, you know, I think he was a really good um stabilizing force in that year. And I think that's exactly what Rick George is going for. Yeah, that that's fair. And what he did in 2020 is obviously pretty impressive. The fact that he came in so late, wasn't really able to get his full staff in there. That took a while, obviously had all the COVID challenges. And then all of a sudden they're what three and zero off the start and then ended four up four and zero off the start and then ended up four and two. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the Alamo Bowl, I got to go to the Alamo Bowl once again, which was a ton of fun. So right. credit to him for that 2020 year. I I think he was able to do the best he could, but as a head football coach, you got to keep it going for year after year. And he was not able to do that. Yep. So see, you get blasted in the Alma bowl and in Tom Herman's last game as a head coach um, against Texas. And then the next year, um, see you after going four and two overall in 2020 with 12 games to work with still wins four games. So in 2021, CU goes four and eight. Um, this should be pretty fresh in the minds of people uh, who are listening to this podcast. But if you remember, there's a shaky offensive start against UNC, the fighting Dylan McCaffrey's in Boulder. 
Um, and then an absolutely disgusting game against Texas A&M in downtown Denver, um, which gave people some disgusting pretty- in what way? That was just the watching it was, it was brutal. Was it, Ten to seven. Yeah, both teams were okay. not moving the ball <laughs> at all. So you <laughs> As a really football well, like, fan, though, it, it was kind of fun. Uh, yeah, it was a fun game. I was stuck uh, on the highway. I couldn't go, so I was stuck on the highway. Maybe this is part of the reason I hate that game. But there was a crash in I-25 southbound, and I was in the same spot for literally three hours um, watching on my phone as both teams did literally nothing to move the ball until Isaiah Spiller just decided to take over in the last start of the game. Were you trying to get to the game, or you were just no? I was. I I had a prior engagement, like a wedding-based engagement, and I was trying to drive back from Fort Collins. Um, whole highway was closed. Literally, did not move my car. Like, turned the car off for three hours and just watched <laughs> watched that game. Um, but you know, hanged against the top ten team was a pretty good omen. We thought. Um, and then the offense turned out to be what the offense was in 2021, which was was worse in the country under Darren Shiverini and freshman retro freshman quarterback Brendan Lewis. So CU loses three straight after Texas A&M gets blanked at home against Minnesota. Um, wins a absolute dominant game against Arizona um, at home, and then uh, wins two more times. Weird one against Washington and a fun one against Oregon State, all at home. Um, Ends four and eight last year. Um, offense was bad enough where a change was made off as a coordinator. Darrell hires the guy that scored 30 on him last year or in 2021 in Mike Sanford. Um, and this year, the results have not been there, to say the least. And he didn't realize PJ Fleck was probably the one that put 30 on him. But Well, I think he didn't realize that that was a gross um, uh, underperformance for, for Tanner Morgan. And in Trevor, Trevor, uh, who pots the running back pots, that was uh, uh, a bad game for Minnesota's offense, and this year's proving that, but yeah, yeah. Um, 2021 was gross, and 2022 is even worse, and I think that's why you're seeing the change being made a scant two and a half years into his tenure. That's exactly right, and people were calling for his firing after last year, which I think was undeserved just because of what he was able to do in 2020 and mm-hmm. still being able to win four games, you know, especially with the Washington Oregon State wins late in the year. I was like, all right, keep him around, give him another shot. Maybe he could hire, get a good offense coordinator in there and things could turn around. Um, but that actually proved to be his downfall, as well as elevating Chris Wilson, getting rid of Tyson Summers who was Tyson Summers was the DC in 2020 when they were actually good and then decided to go with Chris Wilson, which was a terrible decision. So it really came down to his coordinator hires that ended Mm -hmm. up to be the downfall of him. Yeah. And it's it's an interesting point because I think part of the reason why CU went with Darrell, you know, he had a five-year tenure at UCLA um, where I think he went to a bowl all five years, but um, part of the, his like calling card was good stabs, right? Like he, he hired the as OC at UCLA during what Bell was OC for a few years at UCLA, who is now a head coach. He had a lot of head coaches on that staff. Um, and we didn't really see that um, in, in at, at Colorado. I think he made some good moves, um, but at, at the coordinator spot specifically, Darren Shiverini was obviously not a good choice at offensive coordinator. Um, that just didn't work for whatever reason between him and Darrell. Um, and, and like you said, Tyson Summers getting, getting rid of Tyson Summers and hiring Chris Wilson, who has had success as a defensive coordinator at the power five level, but just same thing did not work. Um, and, and 
Um, in the end, it just, as a whole, I didn't feel like the team, I think this is part of the reason why the, the firing happened as well, but I didn't feel like the team was progressing or getting better. Part of that was the, the fact that so much top-end talent left at the end of 2021, um, but it, it, it never felt like the progression was there for a coaching staff that desperately, that didn't have the talent to, to just rely on that for wins. Yeah, that's that's another thing. I guess I said the coordinators were the downfall. It's also the players. I, the, he got he basically let all of his talent walk, and he said it was for the better. Um, he half convinced me maybe in the summer, this past summer, that it might have been for the better, that those guys could have been bad apples. Mm-hmm. Um, but that has clearly become untrue with the way that Mark Perry's playing for TCU right now and the way that Makai Blackman's playing for USC. Um, both of them have been really impressive. So and Gonzalez and Rice and – yeah, I mean, long list, um, long list. But yeah, I, I think at the end of at the end of his two year, two and a half year tenure, I think Rick George he directly stated this when he hired Darrell. The, he wanted stability. Um, so because you had you you fired McIntyre in twenty nineteen or twenty eighteen, you hire Mel Tucker, he gives you one year and then leaves. Um, I think Rick George wanted a guy who could at the very least stay, would stay, would not leave for another job. Um, and and do enough things where the, the program treads water. Um, and I think that that <laughs> what ended up happening was you hired a guy that wouldn't leave for another job because who else is going to hire Carl Durrell um, and couldn't retain the players that he needed to, wasn't prepared potentially for this NIL stuff coming down and just couldn't win games. And unfortunately, that is the name of, of football, is winning football games. So um, – that's why you see a change pretty early into his tenure. Which, in theory, I think that that wasn't a bad thought from Rick George of trying to find some stability in somebody that wants to be there. Um, but when you go and hire someone like Carl Durrell that's not going to get head coaching opportunities elsewhere, you don't really have to pay him the Steve Sarkeesian contract. I, I think they just filled in the blank there of what they were going to give Sark and gave it to Durrell. And they probably could have paid Durrell like two and a half mil a year or two yeah. mil a year. And he yeah. probably still would have accepted it and with probably a low buyout as well. But obviously the, adding the buyout was more um, protection because like Mel had just left and they were scared of Darrell possibly leaving. So they wanted to have a high buyout. They didn't plan on having to fire him a few years into the contract. Yeah. I And I I think we should talk about the, the contract stuff a little bit too, because I think that's a huge issue here. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think part of the reason Darrell got such a contract is because of how it was reported that Tucker left, right? I think it was reported that Tucker left because of the money, because Michigan State had administrative support, had the finances, had the resources that he just wasn't getting at Colorado. And I think Rick George wanted to show that that's not true by, like you said, any the next candidate, whoever it was, was going to be getting a massive pay raise because – I think he wanted to be like, see, look, we have money, right? Like, look, we, we're going to give people four and a half mil. Um, but that ends up being a bad, probably not a good tactic when, like you said, Darrell is not going to, he's, he's not on anyone else's list. We, we were, see, he was negotiating with itself there um, and, and ended up losing the negotiation. Um, and that's two contracts in a row that Rick George was a part of that have been catastrophic for the finances of the athletic department, in my opinion. Yeah, you can you can prove that you have money um, without giving him a huge contract. You can put the money elsewhere, especially in an assistant coaching budget, um, or now yeah. it's an NIL budget as well. You yeah. can still prove you have money without having to get overpay a coach drastically. 
Yep. And, you know, the whole thing is support staffs, right? Like Georgia's recruiting room is 50 dudes or whatever. Like you can just inject a bunch of money into that and prove that the next head coach doesn't have to do all that work with um, identifying talent and reaching out to like that. There's people around him. But uh, I think the sticker price was something that they went for. And um, yeah, in the end, fully guaranteed five-year contract for a guy who no one else is going for was pretty insane because that leaves you with, I, like you said, a $9 million buyout for Carl Durrell right now. Um, why that's it. That's truly wild. Um, you know, Jeff Collins is getting 12 million from Georgia tech also crazy, but, um, at least Jeff Collins had coached college in the previous 10 years, you know, um, just, it, it puts you behind the eight ball now when you're looking for the next, for the next guy. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I, I don't know if we're going to get into this discussion, but I think this is just more evidence on why Rick George probably shouldn't be the athletic director going forward. Um, it's really two bad contracts that he's given out. He really screwed up that Mel Tucker contract, um, obviously with him being able to walk after a year and not getting too much value out of that, um, and then screwed up Darrell's contract as well. So he's now over two. I mean, you can say that Mel Tucker, the Mel Tucker hire was smart, um, but the contract was terrible, and yep. the Darrell contract was also terrible. Yeah. And, and I mean, and you can, we can also, I, I think the Mel Tucker hire was a smart hire, but you know, he, as he continues his coaching career, I think we are also seeing that he was not flawless um, given what he's doing right now with Michigan state. So yeah, I think we, we can get into this. Um, I will say, it, I guess, moving on from the recap of, of Darrell's tenure and also Chris Wilson tenure, they both been let go today into next steps. Um, I think moving a move like this, a midseason firing, um, that's pretty emphatic. Um, money be damned is a, a good sign to me for the administrative hope going forward, especially under Todd Salomon, the new CU system president. Um, he had a recent interview with Brian Howell where I thought there was some good comments made there that we haven't heard from presidents in recent years. Um, and I also think that leaves room for not just the coach being fired this time, but I do think that we're going to see changes administratively. I don't know if that means Rick George is fired. I don't know if that means that Phil DeStefano is less involved or retired. You know, I, I have no idea, but I do think that we're going to see um, involvement from people that aren't Rick George and DeStefano this time around. Right. It And it appears just based off the statement, the statement came from Rick George and they said that this coaching search is going to come uh, start immediately. It appears Rick George will be involved in the coaching search, uh, but I'm going to go ahead and assume that even if he is, I don't think Todd Solomon's given him the full keys to the car, that it's just right. his decision to make. Um, right. I think he'll, he could bring in some people to help with that decision. He might be involved himself, but there's just, I can't get myself to believe that this is going to be Rick George and Lance Carl's decision once again. No, I, I, I think there's no shot of that. I, like you said, I don't, I don't think it's going to be insulated within the walls of the champion center. Um, so I, my, I guess my prediction will be, um, that Rick George does make this hire. I think he will be athletic director until a new chancellor is in place at CU. I don't know when the chancellorship will transfer over, but Phil Stefano, as, as you mentioned before, who is the current chancellor is, He's in his upper seventies now, so it's it's not like he has a long career of administration ahead of him. Um, so I don't think we're going to see an athletic director change until we see a chancellor change. I do think we see a chancellor change at some point, pretty quickly here. Um, but I don't think that Rick George is leaving until there's someone there who has a guy in mind or a person in mind. Right, and I, I guess that makes sense. I don't fully understand Phil Stefano's um, 
plan or I feel like there's been rumors over basically the last five years of him retiring. So oh, yeah, there has. Going to it. So um, I, I just, I don't know what's going to happen there, but yeah, I, I think that would make sense to have a new chancellor in there to be able to hire a new AD, to be able to hire a new head coach. Um, it, it starts at the top and that's been obvious. Um, it's, it's not all Carl Durrell's fault on why CU football isn't good. Right. Um, it starts at the very top and, and there's some changes that are going to have to be made. And we'll see if those changes get made because it's not going to give me too much hope for the future if Rick George and Phil Stefano are still in their position this time next year. I absolutely agree. Um, but I do think that for the first time in a while, the, the presidency is actively invested in the success of the football program, which is a good thing. And I also think that this specific board of regents is um, a little more receptive to um, athletic success. I don't think they were ever, I think it was a lot of grandstanding. I think it was actually kind of overblown. Um, the the issues people have at the board of regents as, as the main downfall. Um, yes, there was obviously detractors of the board of regents who, who don't think that football is a worthwhile investment, but you know, every single contract was approved. I think there was one that was like eight to one or seven to two vote, but there was never any actual pushback on the running of the athletic department in terms of decisions even though you could argue that there should have been a little more scrutiny with the, with the contracts that Rick George is signing. Um, so Jack yeah. Kroll, hashtag Jack Kroll was right. Don't, don't let him. <laughs> yep. That's definitely what should be the poll quote for this. Um, uh, Rick Jack Kroll, I think is no longer a CU regent. Um, but yes. So. And the yeah, other I, lady, I can't think of her name. Linda Shoemaker has also yeah, left she's, she's the, the board there. of regents. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, so I, I think administratively this move signals to me some good some good things that haven't been there really since I would consider Gordon G being president. I think Benson was a good fundraiser and, and liked the football program, but I also think Benson was notoriously, um, I guess, fiscally sound and and didn't and prioritized that over anything else. Um, so I, I think that we're going to see some good stuff from the higher, higher level. And I don't know if that's going to be in time for this hire. Just the, the timing is weird, right? The, the chancellor of, of Boulder is not going to run on football search schedule. They're going to run on academic calendars. So um, firing someone in October on October 2nd probably means that DeStefano is going to be in charge for at least another academic semester, academic year, whatever you call that, um, which means that I would consider Rick, I would say that Rick George is making this hire. Um, because I don't think you're going to see an AD change until it's a change. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. That's, that's going to be tough to accept for a lot of us, but I do think you're right. 
don't get me wrong. I would prefer someone else make the hire as well. I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, and I don't think Rick George is the worst person we've had at, at hiring football coaches. I don't think he's the best, um, but I don't think he's the worst. And I do hope that um, it not just him and Lance Carl running it leads to better outcomes. And if it is him that's making this decision, he knows he has a ton of pressure on him to be able to. Oh, yeah. Decision, right. And he does have a lot of experience in this role now. <laughs> this is third coaching hire in the last four years. So um, I think he there are maybe some signs that he could have it figured out. It's just really hard to trust him at this point. I totally agree. Um, so I think this is a pretty good segue into what we would consider a successful coaching search now that we are looking for one. Like you said, Rick George announced it is started immediately, um, and it sounds like he is at least a part of that, if not leading that search. Um, and just because CU started 0-5, I think a lot of fans already have names in their heads of um, who they might want to see. I know I have a, a list that I have definitely tracked for the past five weeks because that's way more fun than watching CU. Um, but I, I guess I'll start with your ideas. What you know, what are some names you look at um, or what does successful coaching search look like to you? Ooh, a success. I like, I like starting there before we get into. Yeah. I was thinking like maybe do a profile, like what, what, where would you like to see CU go? Like in terms of coaching candidate style? I think it's an interesting debate because they've kind of tried multiple different directions. You had Mm -hmm. Mike McIntyre, who was a very successful G5 coach that flipped around San Jose state. Um, And you could argue that, that hire might have worked out. Right? Would you consider that? Mike I would say he's the best hire. CU coach of the last three. Um, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> and then you have the very hot uh, coordinator name. I'm not going to call Mel Tucker hot, but the hot coordinator name. Um, right. A rising star, you could a say. A rising star in the game. And um, obviously that hire didn't work out. So that's another direction that they took. And then you go with the stability hire. So, with Carl Durrell. So they've kind of gone three different directions and, and it's like, which one do you want to take here? Um, I am personally, I'm usually get more excited about the young coordinators or, or the hot coordinator. Names. Right. And particularly on the offensive side of the ball, I'd like to see some, some ingenuity, somebody that runs a modern offense, mm-hmm. um, m- probably spreads it out and puts up a ton of points on the board quickly. Um, would be my choice is to go to a coordinator. I think it's much more risky to go for like a G5 head coach um, than a young and up and coming coordinator. I, for the most part, I just want a culture changer. I want somebody that can get in there and completely change um, Mm -hmm. whatever they've been doing. And there are guys out there, but they're really tough to find. And sometimes you think that you have a culture changer that just doesn't understand how to run a program. Um, So that's one reason why you might want to go after a former head coach or maybe a G5 head coach. But I would lean more towards like a either a former head coach, like a Tom, Tom Herman, Dan Mullen, somebody that's had some success um, at the Power Five level, but isn't currently coaching. Or I would mm-hmm. go with with a young offensive coordinator um, that would get recruits fired up about coming here and playing for an offense that's exciting to watch. And um, I, I do think that Colorado could have a fun brand of football, fast pace at altitude, offensively. And we talked about this with the offensive coordinator hire as well. Um, so I would like to see that in Boulder and ho- hopefully they go after somebody like that. Yeah, I think I'm going to disagree with you. Um, I guess we're going to, I guess we're going to fight about that. I, I think hard coordinator is interesting. I think there's some names I could see there, but 
you said it's risky to hire a group of five head coach, which I think it is. Um, I think all head coaching, I think it's all kind of risky, but um, that's definitely after the last few years, I've been pretty, I've solidified for sure that to me, I definitely want a sitting head coach who's someone who's currently a head coach or I guess recently was a head coach. And I don't necessarily care what level they're winning at, but I do care that they're winning consistently. So like I, McIntyre is interesting because he was rebuilding that program and he had one really good year. Um, I don't think that would be the move, but um, that's kind of what I mean with the G5 hire. I think looking at recent successes, um, I guess the three names I have in mind are Chris Kleiman at Kansas State, Lance Leipold at Kansas, and, and Kalen DeBoer at Washington, right? I think all three of those have successfully done uh, completed a culture change in pretty short order. Um, and I think all three of those are really successful right now. I mean, obviously. Um, and when I look at what profile they have, it's it's not it's not like super sexy, but it's exactly what I think I would be looking for, which is consistent winning no matter the level. Um, and as you move up, you continue to win consistently, right? So Lance Leipold was at D3 UW Whitewater and just destroyed people um, for years. Then he went to Buffalo. He won at Buffalo, had some good NFL guys, went to Kansas, and now he's winning at Kansas. And I think it's just because that guy knows how to create winning football. Um, Kalen DeBoer, D2 legend at Augustana in Sioux Falls, um, wins national titles there, goes to Indiana, coaches Michael Penix, is some great games, goes to Fresno State, wins games there, goes to Washington, wins games there. I think he just knows how to create winning football teams. Chris Kleiman, same thing at North Dakota State, right? Like, to me, that is what I would go for. It's just someone who knows how to win football games Mm -hmm. um, because that is the goal of the sport. So, like, I I think it'll – I think that is a culture thing. Like you mentioned, that's the number one thing to me, too, is just creating the right culture. Um, And I think that's what that signals, is that they create a culture that creates winning football. They all do it kind of different ways. DeBoer is an offensive guy for sure. They're all semi-offensive, but Kleiman's definitely like full team focused and plays slower. But that I think that's what they have in common is that they focus on the culture first. They get talent in that just works and they don't really care about the rest. Um, so that that would be my preference. Yeah, I, I think I, I agree with that for the most part. I think somebody that's just shown that they have been successful – um, and recently coaching as a head coach in football would be nice. Yeah. Not, not somebody that's a wide receivers coach in the NFL or <laughs> um, hasn't had a head coaching job in, in a while. Um, but I, I wouldn't hate to see, you know, there's a lot of good hires of offense coordinators in their thirties that become good head coaches um, or even defensive coordinators. So I think you, that, that move is also risky as well, but yeah. um, I think that one could work out as well. So let's get into some names. Yep. Let's get into some names. I will also say, to your point of being risky, Dan Hawkins, consistent winner at the group of five level, right? Um, so, you know, buyer beware. Let's get into some names for sure. Um, and I, still is winning, right? UC Davis is still winning. They they lost, unfortunately, yesterday. Tough road game, oh. I believe, against Montana. I oh, know, Montana State. But Montana is- State is a big sky powerhouse. Um I hate that I know so much about the big sky. Um, yeah, let's get into some names. This is going to be the fun part. So I have I have like a list of like six or seven, but I'd love to discuss more. Do you have a list ready? Do you want me to go ahead? Um, I Yeah, I, I have a hot board in front of me just so I have an Ooh, idea. Yeah. Okay. You want to switch off like either or? Like you go one, let's I do one? Let's drop a name and, and give our thoughts. Yeah. Okay. So kind of switch off. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, I, I guess I, as host, I'll make sure you go first. That'll be my home, home field advantage. Um, okay. So let's start with probably the name that's going to get dropped the most, especially mm-hmm. with some CU ties here. Jeff Grimes, offensive coordinator at Baylor. Yes, that will absolutely be a very popular national name and local name, I would bet. Um, yeah, so it's, like you said, some CU ties is doing some really quick history, and this is all off the top of my head. Like I said, this is where my focus has been the last five weeks. Was at uh, in, at Colorado in 2007, 2008 as the offensive line coach under Dan Hawkins. Moved on from there to a few different bigger names. So he was at Auburn for a while, was offensive coordinator at BYU under Kalani Sataki for a while. Um, eventually goes over to Baylor as Dave Aranda's offensive coordinator for the past three years, as well as helping out with the offensive line and tight ends there. Um, he, before Colorado, was at a few different spots as well. Um, heavy Texas ties in his mid-50s. That's, there's, there's your basic Jeff Grimes guy uh, uh, overview. I like really and and now my thoughts. Um, yes. I think there's definitely some risk in here just because he hasn't been a head coach ever. I don't think, even at you know like a high school level or really anything. Never been um, a head coach. The only assistant head coaching position he's had was actually at CU, and I guess I mean I don't think he has an AHC title at Baylor, but he has a lot of freedom at Baylor with Dave Aranda being more of a defensive guy. Um, that's his offense and he controls that entire offense. So um, he does have that. He's really only been an offense coordinator for what, five years, ever since he got to BYU. Yes. Um, before that, he was only an offensive line coach. So he doesn't have too much experience as an offense coordinator. Uh, the other thing that I would worry about here is just Baylor overall, or have they been good enough offensively um, to be able to be willing to make that higher? And I know, in his past history, his offensive lines have been really, really good. Um, and his offensive line at Baylor is really good. He's not an offensive line coach now. Um, but that team just hasn't had much talent at the quarterback position over the last four years. Um, they've really rotated a bunch of quarterbacks, which might be one big reason why they haven't had too much success. They've been able to win football games, but I wouldn't say that Baylor just like puts up a ton of points. Now, I do I do like that he has, that he's an offensive line coach through and through. I think those types yep. of guys are great culture changers. Um, they, just the offensive line mentality in general makes them really good culture changers. So I do like that a lot. Um, and obviously, he's a popular name, and he's probably going to get a head coaching job somewhere if it's not CU. So um, if CU is willing to be the team to give him the chance, then I think that could be a good move. But um, I definitely think there's a few question marks here that I would worry about. Yeah, I, I I think Grimes is a really interesting candidate. I like a lot about it. Um, so like you said, he's been a, he's been a, not just an offensive coordinator, but the primary play caller for the last five years. So because he called plays under Sataki as well uh, at at BYU, because Sataki the defensive coach. Um, and I I always give preference, as I'm sure you know everyone does as well, to offensive coordinators under defensive head coaches. That's basically they are running, they are the head coach for that unit, right? Um, that's all kind of their stuff. So the fact that Baylor has been mostly successful and BYU is also mostly successful under Jeff Grimes um, while having dominant offensive lines up front is a huge plus for me. Um, I think that's a style that has worked well at CU in the past, starting with the offensive line and working out. Um, And I could see that being even more successful at altitude, like kind of old Gary Barnett style, make him suck win by just pushing on him over and over and over again. Um, So I think, 
I, I don't know. I think stylistically it's a really good fit and it fits what you're looking for with an offensive coordinator that will run his offense. You, you are buying the grime system. If you hire Jeff Grimes as head coach, deep Texas ties, always a plus for CU recruiting um, really interesting, diversified coaching tree. He played at UTEP under Andy Reid as the OL coach with Dirk Cutter as the offensive coordinator. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah, super, like super weird stuff in there. So he, get, and then he gets hired by Cutter at Boise State for a year um, and then works with Dan Hawkins, who's the OC at that point. Um, kind of, I mean, goes to ASU with Dirk Cutter as well. Um, was at BYU twice, like I mentioned. He worked with Bronco Mendenhall, which we might talk about a little bit later, um, and was at Auburn for the, I believe, the national championship year, 2009 to 2012. I'm bad at memories, but that's Kim Newton, right? I think it was, it was eight Kim or nine. Newton. So, yeah, it was right at that. It would have been at the first, right? Uh, bu- 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 yeah, yeah, I think. So he was national championship there. Um just a, he's been a lot of high level places. Um, but also on the flip side, 55 never had a head coaching opportunity. As far as we know, um, that's, there's something there, I guess, kind of like Mel Tucker. It's like, why has this guy not had anything yet? Um, so something interesting there. Um, and I, I don't know. It, it's, it's a gamble. And, and like you said, it's not like Baylor's lighting the world on fire offensively. They're not scoring 40, 50 a game. It's, it's a nice, like, high 20, low 30, most of the time do enough to make sure you're not losing, but it, it's definitely not like high flying the best offense in the country. So what are you really getting there? Um, you hope you're getting just a really good offensive line set up and uh, an offense that won't lose you games and hopefully will win you some, but is that worth it? I don't know. Um, I, I think Grimes is a, is a good, good first name. Yep. Yep. I agree with pretty much everything you said. Um, can we cross? Off a few names before we get Let's into do it. Deep dive into some names. Deion Sanders. Nope. Go ahead and cross that one off. Nope. I just don't don't see that happening at all. Um, yeah. If he, he doesn't really want to leave Jackson State. I think he likes his role there, um, and he likes the freedom that he has there because he does a lot of other things. And so I really don't see him becoming a Power Five head coach. M- maybe like back home at Florida State, I could see him possibly taking that job somewhere down the road. Um, but I really just don't think he wants to be a power five head coach. I think he likes growing Jackson state and what he's doing there and like growing um, HBCU college football. And um, though, though he has those sort of values and not really winning a bunch of games at the power five level. Yeah. I, I think even past that, whether or not he wants to or not, just not a good fit with Colorado administration wise, region wise, all of it wise. Deion Sanders is a flashy coach who will get you recruits. And he's also a disciplinarian for sure. He's not like, it's not just all flash, but the way that CU handles transfer admissions would be a huge red flag for someone like Deion Sanders. That just will not fly. Um, He he needs the maximum amount of movement freedom possible to bring in his guys academically, whatever that means, not going to happen to CU. Don't think Deion's a fit that way. Good. Uh, Urban Meyer. Nope. I think we can go. The administration's just not, it doesn't matter how you feel, how I feel. I, I have certain feelings about that. The administration will never allow it. No way. Correct. Correct. Um, any other ones you want to cross off real fast? Um, in terms of like just not going to happen, um, I think some of the, the bigger names you might see this cycle, um, especially jumping from other Power Five jobs, CU fans might think these are possible. They are not. Matt Campbell is, Matt Campbell is definitely yes. not in the cards. Um, I'm trying to think of some other like smaller potential ones. Like you're not going to see interconference co- co- poaching between like Dick, Jake Dickard. Like you're not going to see anything like that. <laughs> Nor would you really want to. I like what he's building, but 
you know, I, I think a, a current sitting power five head coach is not going to come to Colorado. So cross those ideas off your head. If you have them. Um, yeah, another one like that throw out like Dave Clawson or even Lance Leipold. It's like yeah. that just not going to happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I think another one that was mentioned in the, in the past coaching searches that I will not, I hope does not happen is Dana Holgerson, just a mess at Houston right now. He's winning games kind of, but not really. Um, just no, not good. Not good. He, he is falling apart. It's easy to win football games at Houston. Like eight and four is a disappointment there. They want to be winning. Yes, that they are so the Texas coaching winning games, He's not winning at the level that he should be at Houston. Right. They, they had they had a nice line of succession there between Bryles to Kevin Selwyn to Tom Herman, and he's not doing what they did. Um, and they all crashed and burned in their various ways. So, um, yeah, not homers. Um Okay, Jeff Grimes off the list. Good one. I think that's going to be your number one. That's going to be like in every hot list. Yeah. Um, okay, I'll, I'll go first. Here's here's a name I have as well, and I mentioned it previously, but you're going to see this on a few different hot lists as well. Um, Bronco Mendenhall is an interesting name. Bronco Mendenhall retired from Virginia last year. Um, he was the head coach of Virginia for, I believe, five years. might have been six. Um, before that, he was the head coach of BYU for 11 years. He started very young. He is a practicing Mormon who I believe went to BYU, um, but he's he's a lot more than that, I would say. So he, he has a, definitely an interesting college football scheme. He's an offensive guy. His coordinator, Robert and I has been with him for almost all of those years. He's currently the offensive coordinator at Syracuse. Um, likes those weird running fullbacks that will just truck or quarterbacks who are also fullbacks that are kind of truck people. Um, one at Virginia pretty frequently and had a, the most interesting offense last year with Brennan Armstrong. If you remember that offense at all, Virginia overs were an easy cash bet for almost the entirety of 2021. Um, retired because he wanted to, Re, he basically said he wanted to refall in love with his wife. Basically, all of his kids had gone off to college. He was in an empty nest, and he said he didn't really know his family anymore. So he took he retired, took a year off. This should be familiar to Colorado fans who heard a similar thing from Bill McCartney. Um, and he is currently has a podcast where he's he's talked about wanting to get back into the coaching game again. Hence, why his name might be mentioned frequently in these um, rumors. Before I get into my opinions, that was my recap. What are your thoughts on Bronco Mendenhall? Yeah, and another reason is he he's going to get back in coaching. I think he's already talked about it, but another reason he would be interested in Colorado is he's from Utah and has those mountain ties, and mm -hmm. um, I think it's a location that he would be very much interested in coaching in. Um, yeah, I think for the most part, I, I would like that hire. I think there's a lot of good things about that. We've talked about having proven success as a head coach, uh, 135 and 81 head coaching yep. record which is obviously really solid, especially at the two schools that he's coached at, BYU and Virginia. Yep. Um, he showed that he was able to have some success at Virginia. I, I do think Robert and I would probably be an important piece. I don't know if they'd be able to get him from Cuse, but what he's doing at Cuse is unbelievable. It's really like cool. If you watched that offense last year, it was putrid, just terrible to yeah. watch. Yeah. Um, and now are, are they ranked this week? I didn't check the rankings. They are close. ranked. They are undefeated and ranked. Okay, yeah. So I knew that they, they would be closer, right? or ranked, but um, yeah, so that offense has been awesome. They have one of the best running backs in the country, which obviously helps, um, but their quarterback has really improved. Sure. So I would really like to see if they got Bronco Mendenhall to be able to bring in Robert and I, because that looks like a stud um, up and coming offense coordinator. That's probably going to get some coaching opportunities here pretty soon. Um, another thing I really like about Bronco Mendenhall is the recruiting ties. Obviously we already talked about him being um, 
in the in the Rocky Mountain region with being in, from Utah and coaching at BYU. So that helps. I, I do think that they need to recruit Utah a little bit better than they have. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's tough because you have two good programs there in BYU and Utah to be able to beat out. But it's really close regionally, and there's a lot of good talent that comes out of there. Um, especially the, which is another reason I like him, uh, the Polynesian side of this and yep. him being a practicing Mormon, um, that is very attractive to the Polynesian culture. Um, and those people tend to like to play for guys like this. So, yep. um, I do think that they would do a great job of being able to bring in those guys. And obviously that really helps out particularly your offensive and defensive line, but, um, the Polynesian guys are all over the field these days. It's not even just the big boys. They're really talented football players because those, that type of culture, it's God, family football, and they yep. just live that uh, more than anything. So I do like that. I like that he's had success. What What do you think? I mean, you can go on top of those two points, but what do you think are some of the negatives with him? Uh, so, yeah, for negatives, his recruiting at Virginia was up and down at best, um, bad at worst. You know, he probably averaged in the 50s with class ranking at Virginia, um, which I can go into in a little bit when I when I talk about what I like about him. Um, but re- he's not he's not going to prioritize recruiting as well as some other people do. He, he that is a a part of it, but he's he's not like um, he's not a get the guys the rest will fall into place guy. He's he's absolutely a coach first. Um, so that's a big one. I think the fact, you know, some people point to his success at BYU and success of everyone before and after him at BYU and just say, like, it's easy to win nine games a year when you're an independent. You play easy games from time to time. And you have a national recruiting base built in. Um, Weren't they were they Mountain West for a little bit? Yeah, he, he, he caught, I think he actually coached him in the WAC and the Mountain West and then also in independence. Um, so kind of like Gary Patterson. Two, just, two Mountain West championships on his Wikipedia. So, yeah. Yes. Yep. He, um, but, you know. There is some trepidation there because people succeeded before him. People succeeded after him. BYU is a, a pretty easy place to win because of that built-in national recruiting base. You're going to get four stars that no one else touches because they're Mormon. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those are some the two big things. The other thing is he, he retired literally last year. So, like, what are you really getting, you know? And he didn't tell Virginia he's going to retire until he did it. So if you sign into a five-year deal, are you getting five years of Bronco? Are you getting more than that? Who knows? He's only 55, but 56, I think mid fifties, whatever. But you know, what do you, what are you actually getting to him? He says he wants to coach again, but a lot of people say that, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what you're getting with him in terms of passion. Is he going to be able to try to recruit his team every year with NIL, all that stuff. Uh, just to give a counterpoint on the recruiting argument that was poor at Virginia. Um, most of his ties are all on the West coast. That's pretty much all where he coached um, before Virginia. So he recruiting at Virginia with no East coast ties was probably pretty tough to be able to do, especially in the Northeast. you got to be able to get guys out of New Jersey, and um, Pennsylvania and all that, which is really tough if you don't have connections, because that's just a competitive yep. region. Um, and so all of his, I think now that I'm looking at Louisiana tech was the only other job, that was west or east of Colorado, basically. Everything else was west of Colorado, Arizona, Oregon, New Mexico, BYU. So um, I do think that he has better ties on this side of the country, which I think could help recruiting. Yeah, so I, you didn't give me a chance, but let me go into why I like Bronco Hall because I actually <laughs> like him a lot as a candidate. Um, so we mentioned his winning record. He has such a long history of winning games. That's important, I think. Like I said, winning football games appears to be the objective of college football. So we should try to get people who are good at that. Um, let's not overcomplicate it. 
Um, I think we can actually outbid Syracuse for Robert and I. Robert and I have worked with Bronco Mendenhall a lot. I think he likes working for Bronco Mendenhall. And it's not like Hughes is swimming in TV money. ACC is similarly broke, <laughs> just like the fact 12. So it's not like Hughes is going to be over the moon trying to pay him 1.5 mil a year or whatever. I think we can actually pull Robert and I. And I think this offense is really fun. To your point, the pros, you will have an offense identity that will score points. Bronco Mendenhall scores points, period. He does. Um, you'll have a fun quarterback, Garrett Schrader, fun. Taysom Hill, fun. You can go through the BYU. Brandon Armstrong. Brandon Armstrong, super fun. Yeah, see, you haven't had a quarterback drafted since 1997. I think that would change in a Bronco Mendenhall, right? That is all really good news. I think the other thing that's really interesting to me is the cultural fit, which is actually kind of backwards because you don't think of practicing Mormon would work that well in Boulder. But I do think Bronco Mendenhall is a weird enough guy where it does. Um, he literally left the BYU job for Virginia out of nowhere because he said he just wanted a new challenge. He loved the academic side of Virginia. He liked that it was a really good academic school. Um, and he liked that he was coaching people in all facets, right? He was he ran a book club for his Virginia like players every week. Like if he was really into the academic side, I think he's a really brainy guy. I think he's a really like sensitive guy. And I think that would play really well within the Boulder community as a whole. You know, like Bill McCartney is obviously a, a very outspoken guy about his beliefs. And it wasn't really an issue at CU because he was winning a bunch of games and he was making people better people. Right. And I think that's the same thing with Bronco Mendenhall. And I also do want to point out that Colorado also has a pretty large percentage of Mormons in his population, especially in his high school athletes. That's not a bad thing to have the sitting head coach of the flagship university of the state have an end to like 8%, 9%, 10% of the, the football players that you're seeing. Recent example, Andrew Gentry was a four-star, borderline four-star, five-star at Columbine High School, went to Virginia after his mission because of Bronco as a devout Mormon, right? That's a guy you, you keep home if he's your coach here. So yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of positives to that. I think he's a relatively young guy that will win football games at CU. And if he goes to a bowl two out of three years for six years, we're all happy, right? That's four bowl games in six years with a fun offense. I think that's really good. Um, so I, I, he's an interesting option to me. Yeah, I, I, I agree with pretty much all of your points there. I, Robert and I will be tough, though, because I, I think he could also get some G5 coaching opportunities with how good that offense has looked this year. Yeah, right. maybe. But it's a similar thing. It was just like, he's old, man. Like, there's a reason he doesn't have that yet. He's 63, right? Like, he's older than Bronco. Oh, yeah, I, I didn't know he was that old. Yeah, so I I don't know. I think there's something there. So I, we'll see. But he would be a huge part of that. If, if it's Bronco without Robert and I, I'd be really worried, really wary of, uh, of that hire. Um, all right. You got another name. I got a few more. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know who I want to throw out here, but I did mention a couple of those former head coaches as well. Uh, let's go with Tom Herman. Okay. Uh, just quick rundown for people who may not know. Tom Herman was the head coach at Houston made a huge splash, um, was a big recruiter, got them into the top 10, I believe, in the uh, mid-2010s, gets hired by the University of Texas and coaches there for five years, I believe. I think he won an average of nine wins a game, or nine wins a season. Um, last coaching game he had was against Colorado in the 2020 Alamo Bowl and was fired after that season because he was not enough for Texas. I think he's currently an analyst on the CBS Sports Family of Networks or whatever, um, so he's, he's currently out of work, but definitely offensive side of the ball, California native, Texas ties. There's, there's your, there's your rundown. 
which are two things that are very important to Colorado. Um, mm -hmm. I think we got to first start with, do you think that he would take a Colorado job? Um, I don't know. I don't know if he's waiting for a bigger job. I don't know if he wants to just do TV. I don't know. I don't know what, what, why he's not working anywhere this year. Um, I think he probably would. I don't know. I, that would be a pretty easy redemption story. I don't think he's taking it for good. You know, I don't think that's his lifetime job. Um, I don't think it's any of these guys' lifetime jobs. But I do think that he he would see an opportunity potentially to get to a ball game pretty quickly, turning the roster over and then and then leaving, which is fine by me too. But you know, I think that would be the reason why. Yeah, I, I really like it. I think he's shown a lot of success as an offense coordinator. I think the offense would be fun. He he does have a few. Um, what was the issue with that Ohio State wide receivers coach? Zach was, Smith? Yeah. There wasn't uh, Tom Herman heavily involved in that, and there were some questionable. Uh, I don't know if he was heavily involved in that. I, I think they were, like, friends. Like, the, the wives and the coaches were friends, like, couples thing. I, but I don't know. I, I know Tom Herman's wife uh, was became an issue near the end of his Texas tenure, not because of, like, you know, she was just outspoken on Twitter and was saying things. And he was also outspoken on Twitter and saying things. Um, though, okay, cool, hook him is all-time, is all-time great, in my opinion, all-time tweet. Um, but <laughs> yeah, there's something weird. You know, there's people would say, I don't know if character is the right word, but he definitely runs a loose ship, I think, as a, as a head coach, or he did run a loose ship. Um, and was definitely like known, I guess we can cuss on this, but he definitely kind of knows an asshole. So mm -hmm. take from that what you will. Yeah, I, I think those would be a little bit of a worry is the culture. And I think that was one worry at Texas and, and a reason that he got fired is. Um, they didn't believe that that was quite the, the Texas culture that it should be. Um, but he's had so much success as an offensive coordinator and even as a head coach that um, I wouldn't really be worried about it. I think it would be a pretty good hire. Yeah, he had, he's had six years of uh, head coaching experience in places that are easy to win, I would say. Um, like you said, Houston 13-1 and one his first year, 9-3 and three his second year. Goes to Texas. He goes 32-18 and 18 in Texas. I'm not a Texas football his historian, but I'm pretty sure that's the best record of any sitting head coach since early Mac Brown. So um, you can say it's easy to win at Texas. It has not been that easy to win at Texas, and he did it. Um, so, uh, you know, overall, his his record is 54 and 22, including a five and zero record in bowl games. Sitting head or uh, was a former sitting head coach, seven seventy percent winning percentage, under fifty years old. I don't know. There's a lot to like right there. Um, and you'll get offense for sure. You'll get offense with Tom Herman. So. And I think recruits would want to play in that offense for sure. And I, obviously he recruited well at Texas. It's easy to recruit at Texas. It's not easy to win to your point for sure, but it's easy to recruit. You're going to get talent there. Past um, that though, he does emphasize recruiting more than Bronco would or another coach. He is absolutely a recruit first coach, which it could be important at Colorado when there's not a huge base in the state um, to recruit from, he would absolutely work to get the best wherever he is. And the fact that he's been at some big programs, I think he would have a pretty good coaching pool um, to be able to hire some really good assistant head coaches. I, I would assume, unless they just think he's too much of an asshole to that. other Right. Team. That but, would be the issue. <laughs> other than that, I would think that he knows enough coaches to be able to get some really good um, assistants in there. Yeah. So I think to me, the main question is too, like, I, I I wouldn't because of the sanctions, but does he like Arizona State more than CU? Because I think Arizona State's also looking at Tom Herman pretty heavily. 
Yeah. So I, I think that would be one of the tougher ones to get. I think the first two that we discussed would be more willing to come to Colorado than Tom. Yes. But would I, 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 the other thing I think Tom Herman has over those other two names is that it brings immediate national attention. Tom Herman is a national man. You will absolutely get more attention because Tom Herman's your head coach. Um, good thing or bad thing? You, I, I would say good thing, but you, you'll get more attention. Definitely a good um, thing for recruiting. Do you want to touch on Dan Mullen too, or no? Not really, because I think it's a bad fit. But I think so too. I think he's had good enough success that I would be willing to be happy about it if they were to hire him. But I just think it's a bad fit. He's more of a southern guy that I think he belongs in the south. Yeah, I, I mean, he is, he will get you uh, a good quarterback. I think he, he's, oh, that's yeah. pretty consistent in his career. But um, someone who actively hates recruiting is not going to have a good time because mm-hmm. you can you can hate recruiting and, and still pull top ten classes in Florida. You can't do that in Colorado, so um, would be an issue there. But offensive guy, I don't think he would take the job personally. I, I think he, he's going to be waiting for a bigger SEC job. I think so too. I think he belongs in the SEC. Yeah. Um, okay. Tom Herman, Dan Mullen down. Uh, like I said, I have a few other names to run through. Um, I, I could pull one of those out right now if you'd like. Okay. I'll do the next obvious one. Sorry. I, I'm doing the obvious ones before I get to my personal sleeper hits. Um, one that you're going to see a lot of Ryan Walters, the current defensive coordinator for Illinois. Um, the reason you're going to see a lot of Ryan Walters is because he's an alum of the university of Colorado. He played under, I think Barnett and Hawkins as a safety. Um, has had a meteoric rise in his coaching career. He was a DC at Missouri for the past few years before he moved to Illinois under Brett Bielema. Um, and he is coaching an incredible defense for Illinois right now. Um, as I think Illinois is what second in division, first in division, something like that, but pretty young Colorado alum. I think he's actually a Colorado native as well as a Colorado alum. Um, and, and coaching a uh, Los Angeles. Okay. Shoot. But um, I don't see high school on there, so he could have. Well, yeah, my bad. So, thirty-six um, and and a rising star as a defensive coordinator. So this would be that profile that you talked you, you talked about earlier. Um, right. Yeah. So this is a basic profile. I, I will say on the outset, my really really surface reaction is I just desperately want anyone who's not a Colorado alum or a CU guy to take this job. And Ryan Walters is probably a pretty good candidate for a lot of jobs. Um, I think he's being mentioned extra because he's an alum here. And it makes me very nervous that he's an alum because I just, I don't want a repeat of a weed Colorado guys attitude. Um, that is doomed to see you in the past a few different times. So that, that's my basic reaction off the jump. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that point. Um, that would be my biggest worry. So the important question that you would have to ask is would he be a candidate if he wasn't um, a former alum or if he wasn't an alum do you think he, he would be i think he would be an outside candidate i think he's being mentioned more prominently because people know he went here but i do think with how good illinois defense is this year and how well how much they improved last year that it's um he will be mentioned for jobs um i just think he'll be like you know the footnote in the article that says like a name to keep an eye on ryan walters um the other thing with him, if he was smart, it would be if I were him, I would wait and get another good year going. And then you get you're going to get some huge jobs coming after you, in my opinion. So that's the other thing with him is um, if you want if he was smart, I would, I would get another year with Illinois. Keep your train rolling. And then uh, I think you'll see some some big Big Ten teams come calling. 
Yeah, but it's difficult to have sustained success at Illinois. You really don't know what you're going to get the next year just because of that. True. Which, well, and that might go to the other point of maybe he just has a really good senior-laden defense right now, um, and maybe that takes a step back, and and we're glad we didn't. But young coordinator, has ties. You'll see his name pop up. And I think it would be an interesting hire. We don't exactly know what he valued. Like, we don't know what he is like as a coach. He's really young in his career, right? His first job was in 2009 as a student assistant at Colorado. So we have – about a decade of experience and a lot of that is is on the lower end his first years at dc was 2016 as a co-dc he first started being a full dc in 2018 in missouri and those are not good defenses it's not like they were you know it's a tough system they improved but under barry odin they were not great um so i don't i just don't know what we'd be getting with them that's that's kind of a mystery box right and if cu didn't have the history of um, hiring CU guys and it going really, really bad, this might be really attractive because he is basically a buff through and through. I think his dad played at CU as well um, before he did. He played at CU for four years. And is he related to that? Um, the other, is it Troy Walters? I don't think he's related to Troy Walters. On his Wikipedia, it says that he was babysat by Eric Bieniemy, So a buff through and through. Buff through and through, which would be attractive to people if, they didn't have a bad history of hiring buffs through and through. Yep. Yes. I, uh, did he, yeah, he, he played, he played at Grandview high school in Colorado. So he went to high school in Colorado. You were right. Nailed it. Um, yeah. So that, I think that's another name you're going to see a lot of. Um, I think it sounds like reading the room, you and I are both thinking, um, let's let someone else take that leap and let's, let's just cheer on a, a buff alum who's going to be successful in his career. <laughs> I think is what we're both saying. Is that right or no? Yeah. Um, my other worry is how, he, how's he been as a recruiter? I feel like in, I mean, obviously Missouri and Illinois, you're not going to get a ton of talent at those places, but I feel like he hasn't been able to, you know, he's really not knock like, doors off as a recruiter. Yeah. He's not a superstar. That's for sure. He's not like Marcus Freeman. You're not hiring a Marcus Freeman coach. Um, unfortunately. I think he's a good defensive coordinator, but I'm not sure he's a great recruiter, which would really worry me. Yep. Yeah. So that's another, that's the last of my popular names that I want to talk about. So that, that's my pick. And then I think it, it turns over to you if you have any left. Um, so we want to go with maybe someone that's more under the radar. If you have high profile names that you want to talk about, let's do it. I, that was the last of the ones that I was going to bring up. All right. I think um, we can cross a few off. Jim Leonard, I don't think. Nope. Yeah, I think I, he's Wisconsin's next head coach. Yeah, I think, I think he knows that. That might be this year. Yeah, on. exactly. Chris is not doing well. We were just talking about how well Illinois is done, and part of that is because Wisconsin's bad because they crushed him yesterday. But, yep. Um, so I would cross that one off. Garrett Riley's on the list. The Lincoln's brother. Interesting. Offensive coordinator. Um TCU, yeah, I. that's just – I mean, I watched that offense look terrible for a half against CU and everybody has gone, done whatever they want against CU. And mm-hmm. obviously that's the first game and they're not as prepared um, as these other teams have been able to dominate Chris Wilson basically. Um, so maybe that's one reason. But I would, I would have some question marks. I don't think he's quite Lincoln Riley. I think he's his own, own self and he's Garrett Riley. Yeah, really young offensive coordinator under an offensive head coach. That always makes me a little bit worried. What are you really getting? That's a Dan Hawkins syndrome, right? Like, are you getting Chris Peterson? Are you getting Dan Hawkins when you uh, 
hire Garrett Riley? Is he the Chris Peterson behind the guy, or is he just the guy that is riding off the coattails? Um, right. Yeah, that's the issue. And also really young, really young. I think he's right. like 33. I, I See, I wouldn't worry about that if he was very successful, but hasn't had enough success at the Power 5 level um, for me to really consider that. Yeah. Uh, speaking of TCU, Gary Patterson. <laughs> Do you have thoughts? I don't think it's really a possibility. I I would not want it to be a possibility, and I do not think it is a possibility. Uh, I think he, he left because he hated the new world of NIL and having to recruit his guys every year. Um, and I don't think that's a good thing yeah. if he was trying to get back into the game. Yeah, not a great recruiter. Uh, how about Jeff Levy, offense coordinator, Oklahoma? Uh. Interesting name has had success in a lot of spots. Um, I don't want to speak for other people. I would have a an issue with that, given that he's our royal son-in-law. That in part of that he's part of that hashtag CAB movement. That was, in my opinion, pretty gross um, near the end of our royal tenure. So I, there's some stuff there that I would not like to see. But he he plays fast offense, scores points. Especially with CU's history, I don't think you should be hiring any Bryles or anybody related to the Bryles. Yeah, um, that I guess I, that might be guilty by association, but I, I'm comfortable with my assessment there. <laughs> Correct. Um, one name that's going to be thrown around a ton that we didn't get to is Troy Calhoun. Yeah, Dave Logan too. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Troy Calhoun. I mean, he just wins. All he does is win. Um, and it, it, if I, I, I would be hypocrite if I said earlier, you know, the goal of the game is to win, so let's hire a guy who wins. Um, and I don't think about Troy Calhoun. That's what he does. He just wins every year. Um, option offense has always freaked me out. I don't want to see CU move to that because it's so hard to unwind that once you are wound up into an offense option recruiting style. Um, but also it makes you a weird screwball for anyone else you're playing, right? Um, Georgia Tech had plenty of success under Paul Johnson with that. Yeah, so so Calhoun's an option. I Honestly, I don't think I would hate it. I'd just be really interested to see because he's not just an option guy. He, he ran pro-style stuff when he was with the Texans, I think. Or the Broncos. I forgot which one he was part of, but um so I yeah, I, I don't know. I, I would I would be whelmed. I'd I'd be interested in seeing what that looks like. I think that'd also be an opportunity to save some cash. I don't think you'd be hiring Troy Calhoun for five million a year. Um I remember I had a couple sources that said that he interviewed um before they hired Darrell. And I was trying to remember if he interviewed before they hired Tucker as well. Um, but I'm sure he's gonna get an interview. Yeah, 56, so similar to Bronco's age um, and similar record to Bronco, 115 and 76, all in Air Force. Hard to win there. So definitely something there and, and local, so save on moving costs. Um, but, yeah, yeah, he was a Broncos assistant for three years. That's right. Okay. Um, started as a defensive assistant. He was under Gary Kubiak as well as the OC for a year with the Texans. So, yeah. Do What's you up? think – if they hired him, they would have to go to the triple option, or that they would be able to run an offense. And... I, I don't. I think. I think he's doing the triple option because the service academy dictates yeah. it. I don't think he's necessarily like an option born and bred guy. I do think CU. I, I. I don't know. That's that's the weird thing with his hire that's always freaks me out. Is like is Air Force winning just because once again you know national recruiting base option offense. He's just good, really good at running that, and no one's preparing for that week after week. Or is he winning because he's just a really good offensive mind regardless of system and he'll put you in a position to win? I don't know. 
Um, always makes it's a little iffy with stuff like that to me. So that's that's why not high up on my list, but um, definitely an option. I yeah, I I think my consensus is right around where you are. Where like I wouldn't be upset about him getting hired. Um, I think it's almost the easy hire to make, which I, I just don't think Rick George is going to do this time around. Uh, but I don't think I would be necessarily upset. I would be very much interested to see like what yep. he was going to do going forward. And I wouldn't, <laughs> I know how hard it is to unravel, but I wouldn't hate it if he came here and had to run triple option just because he's unproven as a recruiter. Can he bring in talent and run a different offense? Right. Those offensive guys trust him to be able to run a different offense. Right. Uh, I think there would be a lot of question marks as a recruiter. So if he came in as a triple option guy, then at least you would know that he's just going to get his guys in there. Um, and they're gonna and they're gonna run that offense. I wouldn't hate triple option SCU. <laughs> Obviously, they've had success in it back when um, a lot of people were running it in the '90s. But uh, it, it would just be a really basic hire, and I just don't think Rick George is gonna do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think the, hire, I yeah, I, I think the other thing to to look at too is since Bill Parcells was Air Force's head coach in the late '70s. A lot of people have won there at various success rates. Calhoun is technically worse than the person before him, who was Fisher DeBerry, um, which who was you know kind of a legend in the Air Force. So, not necessarily a bad thing. DeBerry's in the Hall of Fame for a reason. So you know, he's good. Calhoun is good at winning football games. Um, and and I don't. The option's so weird to me, man. I think it'd be really fun, but it, like I said, it's just like, look at the mass Georgia Texan just trying to do anything other than the option. It's just like, it's brutal. It's brutal. Um, so you got to be in it for the long haul if you're going to be doing the option, because that's good. That's going to be your thing. You are, it's really hard to not do it um, after you've done it. So yeah, I don't know. It would be, it would be something. I definitely, if you're looking at next year's schedule, which is like packed, it's a really fun schedule. If you have a decent team, um, Calhoun would be guaranteed like 210, 39 year, right? Because you are sw- switching a lot of shit up. I guess maybe not. Maybe if you're not running the option, but if you are, like, I that's going to be a rough. If the option, it would make them make it pretty tough because they just don't know what to expect. Yeah, that's true. In the first, um, after that, I totally lied and I said I would pick no more like high, uh, high profile names, but I am about to now. I think. This next guy is another guy who's high up on my personal list. Um, Jeff Trailer at UTSA. Jeff Trailer um, was, I, I think he's the second coach in UTSA football history. They're a pretty brand new program, and they hired him from um, Tom Herman's staff at Texas. Jeff Trailer is a Texas high school legend. Um, he, he will get you high school recruits. So he has been the head. He was a head coach at Gilmer, Texas High School um, for 15 years before Texas hired him as a special teams coach, AKA recruiting coach, um, was at SMU for a year under Chad Morris or yeah, yeah, that's Chad Morris. And it was at Arkansas for two years under Chad Morris as the running backs coach before he was at UTSA as head coach at 2020. I believe he took over for Frank Wilson. Um, yeah. Frank Wilson went, um, four and eight his last year, Jeff trailer immediately goes seven to five his first year and two 2020. He went 12 and two last year which is his second year of the job. And this year he has a pretty good start as well. He went three and two and, and um, has punched above his weight. So um, overall, like doing going above and beyond in a brand new program, high school, Texas high school legend will give you Texas recruits period. That that's the Jeff trailer recap. Um, and I personally would be a fan of that hire. 
Yeah, and those guys have had success. You look at uh, McGee at Texas Tech. I think Texas Tech is turning around right now. I think that could yep. be a good program here yep. over the next couple of years. Um, and obviously, deep Texas recruiting ties is going to help at CU. Um, so there are some positives there. I, I guess the big question mark would be he just doesn't have that much head coaching experience. You have three years. Um, I was I don't have the Wikipedia up now, but um, yeah, wasn't an offensive coordinator at the Power Five level, just running backs coach. So he really hasn't had that much experience um, at the D1 level, but no. he had so much success at UTSA, and that's a fun offense to watch. Actually, what's funny about that is I actually heard that they were really close to hiring uh, Barry Lunny to be the offensive coordinator. It was him and Mike Sanford as the final two. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And Barry and- Lunny moved on, didn't he? He did, yeah. He's no longer the offense coordinator at UTSA, it's but he's worked, he's worked under Trailer. I think I think he worked under him at Arkansas, and then went to UTSA yeah. with him, and now he's at Illinois, which is obviously having some success right now. So, um, yeah, I think that's really interesting because they've already basically talked to people in that coaching tree, and they already like um, that coaching style. I would assume. Obviously, that was Carl Durrell that was making that hire, but Rick George, Lance Carl, involved in that as well. Um, I think that's that's a hire that I don't think would excite too many people, and it's definitely not like a national name, um, so that doesn't help out. But I do think it's a hire that could get you to bowl games consistently. So I think that that would be something to look at. Yeah, he'll, he'll recruit, um, and he will absolutely do some um, fun things on offense. His quarterback, he's only had one quarterback, Frank Harris, and Frank Harris is super fun to watch. Um, so I, I am a fan of that. Um, I'd be more of a fan and I'll talk about the, to your point about administrative changes. Um, I think it's actually got floated on the uh, message board. Um, but I do want to say that I was thinking about this a little bit beforehand. I would be more of a fan of this if it came with the UTSA athletic director as well. Um, Lisa Campos is that AD who basically founded the football program at UTSA um, and she has some Colorado ties. She got a master's at CSU. So um, I was excited until you said that. <laughs> uh, I, I think that the, you hiring that one, two punch would be like a really easy copy paste and get you to consistent middle, at least middling success. Um, I think if you, if you pull that move, that would make me really excited about this. If it's just trailer, I'm, I'm still pretty okay with it. And I think you'd immediately see a talent boost. Um, I don't, I would love to talk about potential athletic directors. Maybe I'll hop on the podcast if Rick George gets off that. Cause I, I really know nothing about that. And I, I'm happy that you were able to drop a name there. Um, I just wanted to see, yeah. So only been an athletic director at Northern Arizona, UTSA. The worry there is basketball, obviously. And me and you are big ho- hoops guys. And I just would hope that she's willing to invest in our basketball program. Um, but yeah, I, I love that one-two punch. I think that's a great idea. And, and schools have found some success being able to do that, bringing in the AD and the head coach at the same time. Tennessee, very yeah. successful with that right now. Um, and so I think that that's not a bad move to be able to make. But uh, yeah, I, I like your take on that. Bring them both. I don't know if I just want trailer. I think I want them both. Yeah, I, I think that'd be the move. Um, and. You mentioned Tennessee being successful with that. There have been coaches that or schools that are also unsuccessful with that. Um, AM being a good example of hiring Jimbo's AD. So that way you could get Jimbo. Who well, who knows how well that's gonna go? Looks like not great, but that, well, that is someone well, who did the same thing. 
Still um, to be determined. He needs to bring in an offense coordinator to run that offense. But they have a ton of talent. They yeah. had the number one recruiting class last year, and number two recruiting class the year before that. So it should be coming. Yeah, but was was a big hire at the time, and you pulled that because they had the AD with the relationship. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's a that, that's a name that I, I'd like to to see in there as well. Um, all right, we can semi get to the rapid fire portion of this. I think um, there's some names I'd like to talk about. I I don't know how long your list is left, but I, I got like four or five left. I have around there. I could keep throwing out names all day long. Yeah. Um, let's do one pretty quick. Like I said, summer rapid fire. Um, Sean Lewis, head coach of Kent State currently. How do you feel about that name? Not not bad. Um, an, an exciting offense and has done some good things at Kent State. It's not a team. I don't think they're expected to win the MAC this year. Uh, they lost a lot of guys from last year's team, but has had some success. I like that offense, but uh, yeah, I think obviously question marks with recruiting and then you you would have to bring in a good defense coordinator yeah young guy offensive guy his his offense like you said is is really fun for me to watch kind of a weird like rpo i don't know mix really run heavy but those around the yard too i don't know it's, it's pretty fun um and kent state's record always looks worse than it is because they play so many people out of conference that are just gonna beat the hell out of them um, so, you know, like this year, the two and three, but I think the three losses are Georgia, Oklahoma, and Washington. So it's like, you know, Kent State's going to lose those every time. Not, not Sean Lewis's fault necessarily. And they gave Georgia. Yeah. They, they put game. up points on Georgia, which not a lot of teams have been able to do. Just them in Missouri. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Interesting name. Um, he was brought up before as well. I think in the Durrell year. But uh, when when C was maybe looking at hiring Darrell, I don't know. I it would be a wait and see. Another cheap option that's like, yeah, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. You'll be okay. Um, at the end of that. Uh, yeah, you're, I think it's your turn. My turn to fire. Um, yeah. Well, we were talking about Tennessee, and I was looking into this guy earlier, Alex Golesh. He's yeah, he's been he's been floated for a few different uh, jobs. And you had talked earlier that you don't like an uh, offensive. Uh, an offense coordinator that's with an offensive head coach. But when we're talking about a system like what Josh Heupel is running right now and yep. how exciting that offense is, then I actually do like an offense coordinator that's working under an offensive head coach because he is learning a ton um, about how to run a very, very successful offense. And he's a young name, up and coming, doesn't have too much power five experience, but I, I love that offense. I think it's my favorite offense in all of college football. So I would be excited about that if that were to happen. Yeah, uh, yeah, same thing. You're basically trying to get the hypo system. That's why you hire Golesh, right? You say like, "Hey, do this for us now." Um, and he's he's been under hypo for three years. Done good, good uh, done good things at Tennessee. I don't know who calls the plays at Tennessee. Um, I think it's hypo. Okay, that's see, that's what I'd be worried about. I, or at least it was last year. I'm not sure how much more involved Golesh. But yeah, you're gonna see his name for a few different vacancies. He was mentioned for Georgia Tech too, just because that, like you said, that offense is electric. Um, so yeah, interesting, interesting name there. What's crazy is we have not overlapped once um, with any of these names. I don't know what you're throwing out. It's not like we coordinated this, so it's it's, it's been back and forth. I mean, you've thrown out some names that I would have thrown out, and I've probably done the same thing. Yeah, for the bigger ones, but even still, like yeah, Golesh was not on my my remaining list. Um, okay, one that that's, is that's on... just my love for the Tennessee offense. That's what I had to say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's fun, and I love Hendon Hooker. 
Mm-hmm. Um, okay, another one I have thrown out before on the podcast briefly, and I will throw it out again as an under the radar kind of cheap hire that might work. Um, how do we feel about Ricky Rainey? Oh. Old Dominion. Uh, Ricky Rainey, Colorado native, went to Bear Creek High School. Was quarterback at Cornell, is a James Franklin disciple, was under James Franklin at K-State, also coached under Bill Snyder, um, and then was at James Franklin's was James Franklin's quarterback coach and offensive coordinator from 2011 to 2019, pretty much. Um, his his offensive coordinator years, he had Trace McSorley and Saquon Barkley, so you know, kind of iffy to see if that was him or the, the talent, but he helped recruit a lot of those talents. Trace McSorley was his was his guy. Um, he also was a tight end coach, and he helped recruit Mike Gesicki and Fryermuth. Um, so some good things there. Has been Old Dominion's head coach since 2019. They had no team in 2020, so that year is canceled. In 2021, he started one and six and then rattled off five straight wins to get to a bowl game, five and three in conference. And this year, he's two and three as well. They play a tough non-con. So he lost to East Carolina, Virginia by two points, and then Liberty yesterday in a pretty crazy game. But they beat Virginia Tech um, and they beat Arkansas State, who's, I think, uh, Butch Jones champions of life. Um, so, we'll, you know, record isn't the best, but I do think the fact that he got to a bowl game, has had three years there, um, and is young from Colorado, offensive guy, all good things. Um, that Penn State, just one thing that I would push back is that Penn State offense was really, really good under Joe Moorhead, and then it started to decline a little bit under Ricky Rainey. Yeah. Uh, and he, like you said, he had some talented players. Um, so did Joe Moorhead. Joe Moorhead had really talented players, but um, that offense coordinator was, that offense was starting to go in the wrong direction and still is going in the wrong direction, even after Rainey's gone. So um, that would be one thing I worry about. But yeah, I, I like what he's done at ODU. Obviously, that's a really tough job to take. Colorado yeah. native, but not a buff through and through. So I'd, exactly. I'd take Colorado native over, over the buff. Yeah, I um. I don't know. I think it's a really interesting name. He's 42, pretty young, but he's had a lot of high major experience under two guys. I would consider really good models for someone that can succeed at CU. I think Bill Snyder is obviously a goat, like incredible coach. So anyone who's, who's coaching to him is um, up in my book. And, and James Franklin is the guy who just continues to recruit everywhere he is and get really good talent into his program, no matter what. Um, so I think that's a pretty good combo of people to have under you. Old Dominion is like really, really hard to recruit to. And he's still getting some good guys there. Um, so he is a recruiter. He absolutely is. Um, I think that's interesting. So Old Dominion's record isn't great, but they are also punching above their weight a lot. Um, and and young Colorado native. I, I don't know. It'd be interesting. It'd be interesting to see who he could pull as well for his staff. That'd be a big issue for me. Um, but like I said, another one he can be like, yeah, let's hire him for two and a half million a year. Let's see what he can get us. Some deep assistant pools and, um, you know, see if we can get a Trace McSorley in here. Did they play on the roll at, on the road at Virginia? I know the uh, Virginia Tech game was at home. Um, let me look this up for you. It was on the road against East Carolina, who is also amazing. Mike Houston. Really yeah, that. Um, but let me look it up for uh, Virginia. Also, new new um, new conference this year, Sun Belt Conference. A little bit harder than the, the CUSA he was working on last year. Fun Belt, one of the best conferences in all of college football. <laughs> Won a bunch of money two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was at Virginia, yes. Okay, yeah. So that's a pretty good loss, and then obviously beating Virginia Tech at home is really good. So, yeah, I'm impressed with what he's done at ODU. I think that's a little bit risky, and really, really maybe risky. a guy they might interview. But I mean, 
at this point, we really haven't like declined too many guys. Most of the reasons we've declined is just because they're not a good fit, but I, I don't think I'd decline that guy. Um, yeah, so that's Ricky Rainey. Um, let's go to your name here. Who do we want? Um, Brian Hartline, Ohio State. You think we can get him? I don't think so at all. Not really. Okay, I was about to say, like, uh, 100% yes, if you can pull him, but that guy's Ohio State until day leaves, right? And then he takes over? Maybe. Isn't that kind of the move? Maybe. NFL, maybe? He might want to move. He might want to work his way up before then, because I don't think Day's leaving anytime soon. I, I think Day might go to the NFL pretty quick, but maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Head coaching job. I don't yeah. know. Hardline, yeah. Hardline would be an immediate yes for me. That guy can recruit his ass off. Mm-hmm. Um you know, no, no experience whatsoever, but his wide receiver, his, his wide receivers are the best unit of the country every single time. And he recruits so well every single time. I, yes. That's an immediate. Yes. If you can pull. Okay. Should I do another one or do you want it? Uh, yeah, let's go back to back. Let's do, let's do snake draft. <laughs> uh, just cause that one was like a quick one. That's kind of a joke, but also it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, Jamie Chadwell. Interesting. Not on my list. Still have not crossed over. This is crazy. Okay. Jamie Chadwell. Interesting name. Would be fun. I don't don't know too much about his history prior. I'm going to have to look this up. I don't know his history prior to Coastal. Yeah. For the the listeners who may not know him, Jamie Chadwell is the head coach at Coastal Carolina, and they have been a uh, a revelation under his watch. So um, pretty much always a Carolina guy. He's from that area. Um, But – at Coast Carolina, he started out three and nine in 2017, um, and then Joe Moglia took over in 2018, and then Joe Moglia retired. So Chadwell came back in 2019, went five and seven his first year, and then 11 and one, 11 and two in 2020 and 2021. He's currently five and zero oh in 2022 as well, with a great hurdle to win the game um, yesterday. CJ Beasley um, and runs a crazy offense, semi option, semi not, just super weird. Very fun. Yeah, a ton of fun. Um, obviously, he's had a great quarterback there in Grayson McCall. Yeah, um, so you worry there if, if it's a once if in a generation type of quarterback at Coastal Carolina. We'll call which, that yeah. Scott Frost syndrome if it's the quarterback or the coach, right? Exactly. Um, so that would be one thing that would worry me about his success right now. But he's had a ton of success at Coastal. I don't think it's a great regional fit, um, but I definitely would be happy if they hired him just because of how much success he's had and completely turning around coastal and obviously they've had really, really good seasons. He was the AP coach of the year in 2020, um, had pretty much every award in 2020 when they were really good that year. And they remain to be really good, but Grayson McCall has been there all three years. So that would be my work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Chad was an interesting name. People were floating in for bigger jobs last year. I thought than this year, for some reason, he's not getting pushed for like an Auburn or a Nebraska, which I thought he would be a little more, but last year he seemed to be like on every list. Um, so people might think it's the quarterback more than the coach, but it'd be interesting to see. Is he on the Georgia tech list? I feel like that would make a lot of sense. Yeah. That would be a really good pick for them. I think, I think Chad will make perfect sense. Um, uh-uh. we'll stay in the- Oh, actually it's your turn. No, no, no. You go. Okay. You're right. All right. Um, Let's do another name. I think that's interesting uh, for local flavor. Just came into to the state and laid a whooping down. How about Troy Taylor, Sacramento State State coach? Troy Taylor is an interesting name. Was that on your list? Did we find the overlap? No, no, nowhere close. Oh, my God. This is awesome. 
I wouldn't be considering too many uh, FCS coaches. Oh, well, he is one of two, so get ready. Um, But Troy Taylor's an interesting name as well because he's not just an FBS coach. He has Pac-12 experience. He was a California – he was uh, Cal's, Cal Berkeley's quarterback's coach um, in 97-98. He was their tight ends coach in 99-2000. He was a grad assistant for Colorado in 95, and he was a California wide receivers coach um, in 96. So going way back, that's some Pac-12 experience. Um, and then he went to Sacramento High School, Christian Brothers High School, was Folsom High School's head coach for a long time. Went to Eastern Washington as the co-OC. Went to Utah as the OC for two years. Um, Tyler Huntley's two best years, 17 and 18. And has been the Sacramento State head coach since then. As Sacramento State's head coach, no no um, games in 2020. 2019, he went 9-4, and 7-1 in conference. Um, 2021, he went 9-3, and 8-0 and in conference. Um, and this year, he is continuing to win a lot of games, including laying an absolute whooping down on CSU last week in Fort Collins. Um, so pure offensive guy, California ties, heavy California ties, but, you know, has has back 12 experience. He's 54 um, and he was he played quarterback. And he, I think he, yeah, he got drafted as a quarterback, I think. No, he's a wide receiver. I can't, I'm trying to, no, 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 no. He was Cal's all-time leading passer when he left Cal at 8,000 yards, um, which was broke by Derek Goff, but he was drafted as a quarterback. So he's a quarterback's guy, um, offense guy, California guy, but punching above his weight again for the Sac State Hornets. Let's go Hornets. I would love to go to Kyle Winningham's staff and take someone from him. And obviously, he's not there right now, but somebody that And, and we are not taking Morgan Scally for similar character concerns. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's probably when Utah's offense looked the best that it has over the last few years. I know, like, it's still really solid right now, but that offense in uh, 2018 was really good with Tyler Huntley. So, mm-hmm. um, I yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, it, I'm, I'm pretty interested in this one. I, how did he recruit at Utah? Do you know? Uh, I mean, not that great. Um I'm trying to think who that quarter. Let's look up who that quarterback recruit would be as a quarterback's coach, right? You're only recruiting one dude generally. Is it Cam? Um, is it Cam? Is it? Could it be Cam Rising? Cam Rising was a transfer, so I'm not going to uh, give him credit for that, right? Transfer from Texas. But let me look this up while we while we uh, while you pontificate a little more. Whether you think it's a yes or a no, I would like to see him get interviewed. I think it'd be an interesting option. Um. Okay, 2018, their quarterback recruit for 2018. When 247 loads, I'll give you this answer. Um, yeah, I don't know. Under the radar, another thing where it's just like, this would be a cheap option. He's making not a million, right? So um, would be a good option there. He was a GA under Rick Neuheisel and Carl Durrell. Uh, GA, yes, I guess. Yeah, that would be the time frame. <laughs> that would okay. be funny. Nice. Worked under Carl Durrell. Looks like he didn't take a quarterback in 2018, so he gets no credit there. Um, while I'm looking this up, you you uh, you throw out your your next pick. Well, this one isn't really my pick because I don't like it. But Justin Guerrero, who covered CU for a few years, threw this name out, and I declined it because I just can't stand the guy, and he's no fun to watch coach a football game. And that's Clay Helton. Nope. God, he did not throw that out. Jack Tuttle was Troy Taylor, by the way. It was Jack Tuttle. Oh, okay. 
Um, no, Clay Helton is a no for me. That's going to be a no for me, Doug. It's it's a definite no for me. Not a <laughs> I would I would be very upset if that was. Yeah, no way. Um, okay, I'll finish off my FCS uh, coaching candidates with Jay Hill, the head current head coach of Weber State. He's been mentioned a little bit more, uh, but I'd like to think I was first to it. There is audio recordings of me in 2020 bringing him up when Darrell was first hired, so I was first on the Jay Hill Express. Um, kind of similar background to Troy Taylor. So he's 47 years old, only ever coached in Utah in his life. Went to Utah as a cornerback, was a Utah GA under Urban Meyer, was a cornerbacks coach under Urban Meyer, then was a tight ends coach under Whittingham for two years, cornerbacks coach under Whittingham, running backs coach under Whittingham, tight ends coach under Whittingham, with a special teams coordinator position for all of those years. So Utah assistant forever, from 2001 to 2013, he's a Utah assistant, right? Takes over Weber State in 2014. His first year, they go 2-10, and 2-6 and six in conference. Since then, they have not had a losing record. Six and five his second year, seven and five his third year, eleven and three his fourth year, ten and three, eleven and four, five and one in 2020 with five and zero in conference, six and five last year, and started off super hot this year, four and zero with a plus 140 point differential, including whooping Utah State's ass at Weber State. Um, so this fits my profile of a guy who just wins football games. Um, talk about boring. He would play. This would be if, – if you don't like defensive dominance, this would be boring. He he has an incredibly good defense almost all of these years. Um, I think that one of these years they average less than 10 points allowed. It's just inc- – like that's that's what they do is they play really hard defense. Um, so I'd be interested to see what he does at CU. But regional fit, has won a lot of games at the FCS level and was a Utah uh, assistant coach in the Mountain West, WAC, and Pac-12. So he kind of knows the deal. Yeah, Maybe one thing with these FCS coaches, and Troy has – Troy Taylor's had quite a bit of success. I would want him, like, winning every single game if I'm taking okay. coach. Then this is not fit to success. <laughs> but um, I do like what they've done so far this year. It looks like they might win every single game. They absolutely killed Utah State. Yep. Um, and that was when Logan Bonner was healthy. Yep. And he looked terrible. I think he threw three interceptions. So, um, Yeah, that defense, I, I think just to your point, obviously would bring in a very fun defense. I just want to see if they're getting an FCS coach, I want to see more success. Um, One thing I want to say about Troy Taylor, because I was looking into some of this stuff you had mentioned, we talked about Cam rising being a transfer. I believe that year after he left was when they brought in a bunch of transfer quarterbacks or was it two years after he left? I don't but remember. They brought in like three transfer quarterbacks and had to find. I know exactly what you're talking about though. There so was so they, much. They might've been a little worried about, Troy Taylor's ability to recruit a quarterback. To recruit, yeah. Place that quarterback. I mean, and Tuttle's not great at Indiana. Um, I think the other guy that Troy Taylor had a hand in recruiting is Jason Shelley, um, who I think is most famous for destroying CU in a in a snow swept game with Kurt Roper as head coach. Um, so yeah, I I don't know, not great recruiting track record for sure. Um, and the, and then to go back to Jay Hill. Um, I think this is one that I'd be more interested in than Troy Taylor. I think all that really? success okay. that and then um, a lot of success at Weber State. I mean, they it, we'll see how their season goes. I, I don't know if we have time to be able to see how their season goes, but if they continue to just demolish their opponents throughout their FCS schedule, um, and if that defense looks really, really good, then I could become very interested 
and someone like JL. Yeah, I, he wins games. It'd be fun for CU to just have a defense that no one likes playing. I think that's that's always a, a, a fun flavor of a team. So, yeah. I don't know. Another another FCS option that would be cheap as well. Are we worried about being cheap? I don't I think so. I, I'm, I'm just counting as a plus. <laughs> I don't think Hill or Taylor is going to get hired, but, you know, if, if they are and it don't doesn't work out well, we are not going to be in the position of owing them $10 million at the end of their contract. And you're not necessarily wrong about that being kind of the profile of what some successful head coaching hires have looked like at the Power 5 level. Um, just guys that have been really, really successful and maybe successful as an assistant coach at the Power 5, but then goes to FCS and just dominates everybody. I do think that that's not a terrible profile to be looking at. It's interesting. Um, I think that's probably the last one that I would be really. <laughs> that, is, that is the last, last the FCS list. coach I have. Don't worry. Okay, good. I'm looking through all the other lists that people have, and there's just really nothing here. Yeah, some people have mentioned, uh, I believe, Zach Entz, who's North Dakota State's offensive coordinator, if I'm remembering that correctly. I don't know anything coach? about him. He's not even their head coach? I don't. Zach, no, Zach Ertz is a tight end. Oh my God! Who is this guy? Uh, Jason? Is it Jason X or something? I'm, oh, that's South Dakota State. Yeah, that guy. Did you say South? I thought you said North Dakota State. I think I did. I don't know, man. I don't know anything. <laughs> this is this is my blind spot. Deep. We're in the Matt the, Entz. What hour and a half point of this podcast? Now, yeah, so. his name is Matt Entz, and he's the head football coach at North Dakota State. Okay, that guy. People have mentioned. Is I guess it's a classic NDSU pipeline, right? Has he been there for a long? Like, was he under climbing? Uh, he's been there. No, yes, 2014 to 2018. He was a DC linebackers coach, so he's been the head coach since 2019. Okay, I don't. I mean, I guess just try to try to do the Craig Climbing, Craig Bowl thing. Chris Climbing, Craig Bowl thing. I think I can go and be the head coach in North Dakota State and win a lot of fun. Yeah, seems to be a a machine at this point, right? (laughs) Yeah, that would be my one worry. Yeah, it's it's a lot like Hawkins at Boise, although Boise has proven to be tough this year with Andy Alvarez. Speaking of, um, just to cover our bases, any shot of Chris Peterson? I don't think so. I, I don't think so either. I think, he, I think that, he's done, done. I think he yeah, is. Yeah, I think if he is willing to get back into coaching, it could be a job that he's interested in. I think he would want to stay in the Pac-12 in the West, but I just don't think he wants to coach. I, don't, I, I think he's done. Um, okay. I'm trying to think of any other names I've run through before. Uh, there's a, a noticeable lack of PAC 12 coordinators we've talked about. Is there anything interesting that you're seeing on that end? Um, just trying to poach from a rival here. We've, uh, we've mentioned Morgan Scally, who's a defensive coordinator at Utah. He is toxic, uh, for CU. You, we will not be able to hire him. Off the top of my head, I'd be interested in that Oregon State staff. Oregon State. Brian Lindgren? Bring him back? No, uh, defensive coordinator. Who's oh, okay. Defensive? Damn. I was like, let's do it. Who's their defensive coordinator? Um, they fired their defensive coordinator from last year, so I don't know who the new guy is this year. Um, some people might mention Marcus Arroyo at UNLV. I'm a hard no on that. Hard no yeah. on that. Hard no. Hard no for me as well. Some people might mention Kenny Dillingham. <clears throat> who's Oregon's offensive coordinator, really young. 
I think he's a better fit for ASU if they're going to go that way. Yeah, that sounds about right to me. I I'd be lukewarm on that. Yeah, not 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 necessarily a fan. That's moved um, enough. No one from UCLA I really want to try to grab, and UCLA or USC is is tough. You think that that's all Chip Kelly? I think so. Yeah, I do. And and well, and a sixth-year quarterback and Charbonnet, like that's that's going to make you look good. Mm-hmm. Some people might mention South Alabama's head coach Kane Womack mm-hmm. as an option. They're doing really well and almost beat UCLA at UCLA. He was Indiana's defensive coordinator until 2020, so part of that magical Tom Allen era um, that Kevin DeBoer is also a part of. Right. Interesting name. I'm not a huge fan of it, and I'd like to see more, but interesting name. 35, so young as hell. Um, I can't I think know. of anybody in, in Pac-12 that I would want. Because that's Jake Dickert's defense at Washington State. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, Kalen DeBoer's offense at Washington. Kalen DeBoer's offense, yeah. That's just It's all the Lincoln Riley's offense, obviously. Yeah. I don't want offense. anyone from Jed Fisher's staff. <laughs> nope. ASU is a, just a mess. Nope. Um, Antonio Pierce. <laughs> so he was willing to get that dirty. I consider that a good sign yeah. as well. If they were willing to get dirty, I could get behind that because I, I actually do think like he would be, it still is a really, really good recruit. Oh, he'd recruit. <laughs> and, um, yeah. A few other names, Hugh Freeze, any chance there? No, no, no I don't think so either. Bad, bad culture fit and obviously a lot of baggage. Yes, he fits your guy. Like he's, he will give you offense. Like he will do that. But I don't think it's a fit. Um, yeah. So let's run down a lot of the names that we talked about. Um, at the top, I think what we consider the more realistic names: Jeff Grimes is up there. We have Tom Herman up there. We have um, uh, Ryan Walters as a potential. We have Bronco Mendenhall. Anyone else you say is like probably the first line of likely candidates that that I missed right there. No, I think that's right. And if I were to have my choice, it would be Bronco Mendenhall, Jeff Grimes, top two for me. I think I'm actually right there with you. I think those are my my first two names. I think you will have a stable success with with those two options. I don't think you're going to go crazy, but we don't need crazy. We just need bulls. So I think, think they'll get you the bulls. You could probably throw Tom Herman in there as well. I just I just don't know if he would take this huge job. That would yep. be my word. At least those first two, I think they actually would take the job. Totally agree. Um, so then after that, we have kind of a more scattershot approach of just names that we mentioned. Um, we have Alex Golesh, Jamie Chadwell from the Eastern Seaboard, Ricky Rainey as well over there. Um, someone like Jay Hill and you at Weber State, Troy Taylor at Sacramento State. I'm missing names. Um, who else did you mention? There's another guy I, there. Oh, I boy. Think okay. Well, because we crossed off a lot of like you're naming the yes. guys that we left on the list. The other That's guys right. we just crossed them off. That's right. Um, so I don't know. I think in general, the fact that CU is willing to bite this financial bull is probably a good sign for whoever's hired next. Um, oh, you didn't say Calhoun, by the way. Calhoun, yes. Okay. We'll probably also get an interview as he has for the last like eight million CU coaching jobs. Um and Dave Logan's Cherry Creek Bruins, they're they're a wagon. They're unstoppable, and they're going to win the state championship. He went to see you. He knows what it takes. <laughs> we got to get him in here. Um, oh, another, yeah, another note we didn't even mention about Malcolm Mendenhall. I think he interviewed in 2012 um, when CU hired him. I'm pretty sure Malcolm Mendenhall interviewed. It might have been the 2014 
hiring process, but I think it was 2012. Okay. Um, so he he is familiar. Yeah, I don't know. It's an, it's a this is always exciting for me, and we have seven more weeks to figure it out under interim head coach Mike Sanford. I'll be honest; don't think he's a candidate for the full time job based off of what we've seen so far. So I don't <laughs> think we have to put his name in the hat. Um, I would agree with that. So yeah, I, I it'll be interesting to see. And like you said, this has been a marathon. I appreciate you hopping on, man. Yeah, I, I mean, I've enjoyed this. I could talk about this stuff all day. So um, I'm, I would hope to be back on maybe if they make a decision or something, so we can go over it once again. It's it's in your Twitter bio, but in case I'm not right, can we still find your uh, intermittent musings on Action Network? That is correct. Yeah, okay. Action Network. That's my day job. Um, okay, sports betting stuff. Follow me, track my bets on there, but then most importantly, read my articles. I do track your bets. I think we're both having a pretty good start to the year this year. I've been, this is a really good college football year. And last two years were actually pretty good. I think I was 56% last year and 58% year before that. We were all the way up to 66% after an eight and three day yesterday. Yeah, I went six and one yesterday. Felt pretty good. Oh, let's go. I started slow, but I'm, I'm popping off the last few weeks. Um, it's yeah, it's been a pretty good college football year for me. Um, and I, I regret that I will no longer have the free money of fading Carl Durrell's buffs. Um, hey, props to me, I didn't fade him once, I couldn't do it. I good for you, man. You. See, I had the opposite thing of well, at least make me money. <laughs> I, I, respect, <laughs> I respect everybody that was doing that, and I'm happy everybody made a lot of money. Uh, yeah, so you'll have to let us know when the uh, when Vegas comes out with the with the uh, the odds for CU's next head coach. I'm sure that'll be an interesting list. Um, we didn't even mention the the biggest name in the room that I'm sure everyone will mention as well, Eric Bieniemy. Oh right, yeah, we probably should have. And I still think we, he's not going <laughs> to coach at CU. So yeah, I just don't think he's going to take that job. It <laughs> we go back to we just can't go to a buff. I mean if. Can't go to a buff. It would have happened already if he did. I think if if I think it would have happened already in 2020 if he wanted the job. And you know his last tenure at CU was not good. So um, I'm, he has grown as a coach tremendously since then. He deserves an NFL head coaching job. I still believe that. Um, but I'm fine leaving that door closed. Yeah, I think so too. I th- and I completely agree with you. And they were kind of close in 2020, from what I had heard. Just that they had lots of discussions, not that. Like, yeah, I, you know, I heard some stuff about potentially the enemy um, directing them towards uh, Carl Durrell or mentioning or them asking about mm-hmm. Carl Durrell to be enemy. I heard something about that. Um, that wouldn't which, surprise me. You know, as a as a character, uh, he is incredible. So, you know, as a, if you're looking for a guy to vouch his character, you're going to see a bunch because, like you said, Durrell's a great guy. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah, that wouldn't be surprise me if the enemy said something like that's the guy that you should go for. Yeah, so you know, brand new era of of, of Colorado football. Um, thanks for hopping on for this quick reaction pod. We'll get this out pretty quick. Like Chase said, find him on Action Network. Um, and let's see where this crazy ride takes us. Troy Taylor for head coach. Love it. Thanks so much <laughs> for having me on, Jack. Yeah, Can't man. wait to see how this all unfolds, and I'm sure I'll be on the flight tracker. That's right. Flight Tracker Chase coming back. Back in planes for next. I I don't know. I don't, I don't think there'll be any planes during the season. I think that's more of an end of season thing. Most yeah. of the interviews now are probably going to be conducted through like Zoom. Or whatever. I think so too. That's true. Um, or you could just have search firm feelers conduct mm-hmm. interviews for you. All right. Uh, nice and exciting. 
Um, let's let's once again a successful podcast without Sam. Just runs so much smoother without his wrenches. Beautiful. Does All he right. Still, uh, play games sometimes during the podcast. He does. <laughs> uh, notably, when we're re- recapping how CU has performed this year, um, <laughs> I don't blame him. I don't blame him either. He, that that man will show you if he's interested or not, and I, I love that about him. Yeah, it's a voice of the people that we need. Um, and when we, when we need a random 2005 Portland Trailblazer mentioned, he'll bring up Darius Miles. It's always great. There we go. All, All right. right. Well, it's October 2nd. We got 28 days until basketball season kicks That's off. That's right. Oh, God, can't wait. Let's go. Didn't even mention Tad to coach both programs. All right. That could I'm, I'm down for that. Let's just do that. <laughs> or let's just fold the football program and put all that money into basketball. Don't tempt me. Don't tempt me. <laughs> I know me and you are big hoops guys, so I know we're in, but yeah. probably some listeners would be disappointed. Oh boy. All right. Great talking, Chase. Next time. Buzz. 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 Buzz.